The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. It's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, uh, you know, this is very important to a lot of folks that we remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And it's a, it's a shame, but people have already forgotten it. And uh, you ask them what it's about, and they may or may not be able to tell you. In fact, for the most part, they probably can't tell you. But we have an expert on it, and our host is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And uh, Philip's on the line. Good afternoon, Philip. I think Philip's on the line with us. Philip, good afternoon. Hey, David. Oh, okay. There you are. I I thought you'd uh, gone uh, MIA on me. I had a technology glitch on my part. Oh, one of those. Yeah, but I got the aircraft uh, right side up now. It's much better. <laughs> okay, you know where the horizon is, huh? Yeah. Yeah, the horizon didn't move. It's just me that moved. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us on... Uh, this Monday afternoon, and uh, we're always glad to talk to you, and I think we've got a, a very special uh, edition of Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and uh, it certainly hits home with me right now, and uh, that's, the, that's the fact that uh, uh, my son's deployed, and so... Uh, what happens when a spouse gets deployed, Phil? Well, uh, you know, it's a big impact. Uh, you know, there's plenty of opportunities during uh, the regular course of peacetime operations for uh, for separation. I mean, of course, for the Navy and uh, Coast Guard and stuff, it, you know, they do cruises at sea and, uh, you know, and there's separation there. Um there's short tours, you know, to, like, remote locations. I did a short tour in Central America, and then, uh, and you know, where you're not allowed to bring your spouse. And then, um, you know, and then there are schools and various training uh, that are of a temporary nature. So already, uh, you know, for a spouse, you they're dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of periods of separation. But then... When something like Desert Storm comes along, uh, and it was a little bit unique in that uh, it, it was open-ended. You know, when we got orders to go, first of all, there was no there was no combat on the U.S. side. So uh, the question, first question, is you know, are we going to combat? And then uh, the second question is, when are we coming back? And I think as a result of uh, the experience in Vietnam where they'd send guys for a year and bring them back, they, uh, <clears throat> they came to the conclusion that, you know, that's not a good idea. The way they did it, you know, in, that, in the Second World War was you get to go home when the war is over. 
and so uh, they wouldn't tell us, they wouldn't commit to anything as far as how long we were there. We were there open-ended, and uh, and it you know that caused a lot of stress on on the, the wives and and families, spouses, husbands in some cases, you know, um, because now you you know you're taken my primary uh, breadwinner away, you know, in many cases, the father of my children, or in some cases, the mother of my children. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity and stress. And then, uh, you know, I think that military spouses seem to be, uh, you know, if they, if they got experience uh, in, you know, uh, in peacetime, uh, being a military spouse, it sort of gets them ready for uh, you know, wartime because there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. You don't have the, you know, both parents there or both the husband and wife there. Uh, you know, there's situations where you, you just have to be able to get along without uh, You know, today's a lot better in terms of communication. You have a little device in your pocket. Uh, you can call home or whatever. For us, it was uh, it was mostly uh, paper mail, and uh, you know, periodically we would get an opportunity to make a morale call home. Um, and even still, you know, if your if your morale call doesn't happen to be during the civilized hours back in the states, then you know, there's more complication to it. And uh, but you know. Who's going to watch the kids? You know, I, I watched for a long period of time. It, we would have uh, a lot of women came in the army. A lot of single women were in the army, and you know, it, there was so much, uh, so many single women in the army would become pregnant, and you have to think, well, what in the world is going to happen to that child? You know, and you know, their policy was. Uh, when the child is for, during the during the pregnancy, of course, the woman's not deployable, and then afterward, uh, you know, you either had to have some plan by which the uh, the uh, the child would have care in your absence, or they would discharge you from the service. You know, because you become a liability at that point, and um, so. You know, there's that consideration. I guess, I forget, I think they call them family care plans or something like that. You had to have something on file. Uh, anybody, I think, that had kids had to have a family care plan. It had to be, uh, you know, documented that you weren't going to use their your uh, status as a parent to, uh, to disqualify you from being deployed uh, for combat. So... Uh, you know, there's those considerations, and then uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll speak to wives because that was my experience. Uh, you know, I had a wife; I didn't have any children at the time uh, that we deployed for Desert Storm, and um, you know, I was a captain. Uh, I was in a company, and there was a battalion, and there was a brigade, and there was a network of wives. Uh, you know, the, the following sort of the shadowing the command structure, if you will, for support. And they had, uh, 
telephone trees, you know, for passing uh, information, uh, you know, disseminating it to to every spouse that was in the uh, in the unit, and uh, they uh, they had quite a culture, a cohesive culture of taking care of each other. You know, I know. I think this is, is. I think this is different too from a situation like you were in, as compared to the guardsman that's called out of the clear blue sky, and um, you know the only relationship that the spouse has is with her close neighbors, possibly, and the and a lot of neighbors or a lot of people don't understand what deployment's all about. And that wife or whatever is left behind, and she's the one all of a sudden that has to change the light bulbs, has to fix the door, has to do this, has to do that. And when Desert Shield, Desert Storm first came up, we kept talking about if your neighbor has been called up, whether it's Army Reserve or National Guard, help the spouse that's left behind. Offer to mow their grass. Offer to change the light bulbs. Whatever it takes. And there's a real calling there for people to do that because I think Desert Shield and Desert Storm were the first real utilization of reservists. Big time. And it's a lot different from being on base where you've already got some friends and some people that are in the same situation that you are and you can go together and help each other. But the spouse that's out in the suburb that a lot of their neighbors may not even know that that the husband is in the National Guard. They may never have seen him going on a weekend warrior trip. So anyway, it, it can be a it can be quite a struggle for that that spouse that's left behind. Yeah, um, that's true. The uh, you know I think in a in a guard or reserve situation, uh, you know I think about somebody who might be self-employed. Uh, somebody who's self-employed, you know, when he when he leaves for his weekend drill, that well he can he can eat that, you know, and he does his fifteen days of active duty during the summer. Well, you know, he, you know, basically give that to himself as a vacation, although it's not a vacation, it's just uh, something else he's doing. Uh, and then, you know, but, but if he gets deployed, that could be the end of his business. Um, and there are, there are protections, uh, you know, and certain things, incentives that they've given through small business administration and stuff, but. You know, imagine a guy that uh, has got a dairy farm. You get deployed for an open-ended deployment. Well, those cows have to be milked every day. Um, you know, it's uh, there's a lot that goes into uh, into this uh, serving in the guard and reserve. And I'm I'm you know, and I have served in both the guard and the reserve, and I'm 100 percent in sympathy with those guys. Um, you know, we uh, in the Guard and Reserve, you, you come in and you do your uh, your job, your military job, 
on the weekends and during your annual training. But, uh, you know, it's similar in, uh, in the active armed forces, except there's a whole lot of other things to do in the, uh, in the armed forces. You know, if you're there full time, you do a lot of, uh, make work stuff and, it, uh, like for instance, uh, flying, you know, I was, uh, I flew in the guard, in a guard unit, and, uh, there was no time, uh, to paint rocks or, you know, do other things. We come to drill, we would fly, you know, and we do on our annual training, we would fly, and then we'd have additional flight training periods we would fly. But, you know, we didn't come in for the fooling around stuff, uh, and we had, because we had the same uh, annual flying hour minimums as the active army, you know. So we, when we come in, we we had to do our job, and in a lot of ways, it was it was kind of better because uh, you didn't have a lot of other nonsense. Well, you know, this is what we stress all the time: is the fact that unless you've been there and done that. Many, many folks can't appreciate what a reservist or an active duty person goes through, really, you know, much less their families. And uh, this is something, in my opinion, that uh, really needs to be talked about more. We're going to take a a break, sir, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment talking more about when someone's called up and uh, what the family do. We'll be back right after this. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You know, sir, I jumped right into the show and just totally went blank on the fact that we always start these shows doing something a little bit different, and that is that we take a moment of silence, and even though we've done a portion of the show already, I think because of the subject that we're talking about today, deployment and the families that, you know, I want to stop a minute and just think about them and think about all the folks that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And it's not just the one deployed, it's the whole family. And I want to think about them and think about those that are on active duty or about to be deployed. And uh, just remember them for a quick minute. And we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Farsberg right after this. And we just ask that you take this moment of meditation and think about all of those that make our country the best country in the world. Sometimes I am act together and sometimes I don't. But I uh, was thinking about something else when we got started. But I do want to remember all of those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice and the families that have paid the sacrifice as well. And uh, I'm glad that you returned safely. And uh, thank you for your service to our country and all of the folks that you served with. So, and uh, do you keep in touch, and do the families keep in touch after you return? You know, uh, there are, well, there were a number of, uh, you know, very close friendships, and, you know, my wife still has uh, friends uh, that were, uh, you know, spouses of uh, the folks I served with, or or neighbors on the installation that we had, and uh, she still, you know, maintains contact with them, and uh, they're very close. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you spend time in a service, it doesn't matter, you know, which service it was, um, you develop a language. Uh, you know, all military services are big on the TLAs, you know what those are, David, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. TLA, the three-letter acronyms, you mm-hmm. know. So there's a whole uh, vocabulary of, uh, of TLAs, three-letter acronyms, and uh, and on and on. And, 
you know, terminology and, uh, you know, people would say, well, you know, next week we're going to the field. And, uh, you know, you have a very, uh, I had one soldier whose young wife asked him, well, where is this field? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, uh, yeah. Over there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, for us, and it, I guess where did that come? You know, we we had two kinds of artillery in the army. Uh, we had coast artillery and field artillery, and I think we did away <clears throat> with the coast artillery in about 1946. But uh, but you know, we still call it the field artillery, and and uh, I know a lot of folks don't even know why we call it the field artillery, but. We call it that to differentiate from the coast artillery, which so now we don't need that distinction anymore since we don't have the coast artillery. But uh, it, you know, was uh, so so these wives, you know, the the longer they're serving as uh, as military spouses, the uh, the the more. Uh, uh, indoctrinated they get and, and more conversant with the language of, of the various services and they uh, you know uh, they need some adjustment period when they when their husbands get out and, and they transition to civilian life because uh, you know they, they've been doing things that you know the ordinary uh, civilian spouses have no idea they have no no concept, and, uh, and a lot of them wouldn't put up with it, the, the stuff either, but uh, we have some very good uh, folks in uh, that uh, are married to our soldiers, sailors, and airmen, um, and Marines, and uh, so, you know, and I can't tell you what kind of... Uh, morale boost it is to have you know a, a strong wife uh, who's capable of taking care of things when you're gone and, and uh, you know is resourceful and uh, it's just it's just wonderful but okay, you know, there comes a point where you have to come home and and, uh, and take the pressure off and, and uh now, does this mean your stature or what? When I say Forsberg is short, <laughs> well, short or short timer, uh, it, that indicates that you have a uh, few days left in whatever assignment we're talking about. So, if you're on a, a tour overseas and you're short, then you you would be uh, very ripe for uh, returning. Uh, there's, you know, talking about acronyms and all. We have one that was called DROS, or it's a date of estimated return from overseas. So the DROS, everybody knew their DROS, and uh, they it was a very cherished uh, thing for them. And uh, it was a mark on a wall, calendar, and when when your DROS was was within. Uh, Within uh, 99 days, uh, you know, when talking about short, people would say, well, I'm, I'm a two-digit midget. <laughs> uh, 
In other words, I got less than 100 days. And, uh, you know, it also uh, brought out something that, uh, well, let me just ask you about it overall, but uh, there were a lot of people that were very superstitious about saying they were short. Uh, they felt like that would bring them bad luck or something, but there's uh, there's a, a lot of superstition in the military. Would you, would you say that's a correct statement? Well, I... I suppose, uh, you know, everybody hears the stories of the guy who was supposed to return to the States uh, from, let's say, Vietnam or whatever, and he was, he was short, and he was going to be going home, and, uh, and then on his last mission, he got uh, killed or, or wounded or, you know, shot down or... Um, so I think people, uh, you know, like during World War II, and they flew those B-17 missions over uh, over Germany. They, you know, they knew they had a very short life expectancy, and that the chance of making it through uh, 50 missions was uh, was very slim. And I think uh, a lot of the superstition came from the fact that you know, as you get closer to that 50 missions and you can go home after 50 missions, uh, you know, people would think, well, my number's about up because uh, I'm getting close to, to going home, so I'm ripe for uh, for a catastrophe. But, uh, so, uh, you know, I think uh, pe- people have a, a stronger sense of self-preservation if they know they're close to getting home. Well, it's, it's almost like... <sighs> the big league in, in sports, be it baseball or whatever, that uh, the players will have their favorite socks or their favorite shirt or their rabbit's foot or whatever. And um, you have this in the Army, the Air Force, every place else in the, in the military that, uh, you know, you'll see a guy rubbing on his uh, rabbit's foot for good luck. And... Uh, it's uh, before, some are before missions, some are like you were talking about when they're short, but it does bring out some superstition in folks that you may or may not ever have thought they'd have, but they do. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of that, superstition and all, you bring up something that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Uh, of course, the Mohawk, if you've ever seen the Mohawk uh, airplane, the OV-1, it had a very bulbous-looking kind of canopy where the crew would sit, gave you great visibility. And, the, of course, uh, the pilot sat in the left seat, and the, the, his door would, uh, his window would kind of bulge out um, to his left. And there was a little rear-view mirror uh, hung up right there in the, in the corner. And... Uh, I had a set of fuzzy dice that I had picked up <laughs> at a uh, at an auto parts store, and I brought them with me. And every mission I flew, I hung those fuzzy dice from that rearview mirror. Uh, and uh, was it uh, was it superstition? I don't know, but uh, I can tell you that the crew chiefs 
or, you know, the systems operators that would fly with me, you know, they they wanted to make sure that those lucky dice were up there for every flight that I was on. You know, they, <laughs> they didn't want me to break that. Uh, it would be bad juju for me to, you know, fly without those. So, uh, yeah, I had them for every flight. And And certainly you're not superstitious, right, sir? No, but I still have those dice. <laughs> but, you know, I still have them somewhere tucked away in my old helmet. You know, I think uh, what you said, and like you said, your crew chiefs were whatever, making sure, you know, that sort of broke the, the, not the seriousness, but it sort of broke the atmosphere a little bit, I would think. And that... You know, you know, and most everybody knows that the rabbit's foot really, or the dice or whatever, really is not the thing that gets you there and back. But, at the same token, it's sort of nice to uh, have something to bring a little levity into it and be able to talk about it. Yeah, I don't think I ever had any real psychosis over the whole thing. But, uh, you know, if it works, don't mess with it, I think. <laughs> that's what they say. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, we're going you know. to take another break, and we'll be back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Farsberg right after a couple of messages. We'll be right back. Veteran-owned America's Web Radio endorses and supports Dr. Rich McCormick for Georgia's 6th District, U.S. House of Representatives. As a decorated Marine helicopter pilot, and now an emergency room doctor who served on the front lines against COVID-19, Dr. Rich McCormick has never been afraid of a fight. Whether it's communist China abroad, or the radical left in America, Rich knows the next fight facing America is to stop socialism. He's all in. Vote for Rich McCormick. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we do appreciate you listening and... It's amazing how our audience continues to grow and uh, our friends are hearing from their friends and our hosts are hearing from their friends and uh, it's just a growing thing and we love it and we appreciate the people that pass our name on to other veterans and uh, we certainly appreciate our veterans, our first responders and don't forget that every Friday is Red Shirt Friday, and that's to remind everybody that we appreciate and thank our veterans, our active duty folks, and our first responders. And that's the way we show it 
from coast to coast and around the world by wearing a red shirt. And don't think those folks don't know it. And with what we're talking about today, and that's deployment, we also want to encourage you, if you're at the airport or at wherever you might be, and you see a veteran or someone in uniform, if it's the right situation, buy them a dinner, buy them a Coke, buy them a cup of coffee, whatever, whatever the situation calls for. And I can assure you they will appreciate it, but you'll appreciate it even more. It will make you feel so good for the rest of the day and probably the rest of the week. Always remember our veterans and our first responders. They have kept America free. And, you know, I pray for those families that have been affected this weekend by a couple of crazies. And... uh You know, I just, I have no idea what gets in somebody's mind that they need to go in a grocery store or wherever and kill people. That's just, that's not the American way. But, you know, you can fix stupid, but you can't fix crazy all the time. So we just pray for those families that have been affected adversely this weekend. Now let's get back to Lieutenant Colonel Forsberg and Lieutenant Colonel Retired Forsberg and talking about deployment. Well, uh, yeah, David, it's, uh, uh, I guess I just want to, you know, weigh in on the, uh, what you were talking about the shootings this this weekend and uh, I I guarantee you nobody that shot people up in the subway in New York or a grocery store in uh, Buffalo or any of these folks they didn't go to Sunday school that day before you know that week before Um, people need to know that uh there's a God that they're answerable to, and uh, he doesn't—he doesn't just gloss over things like that. No, sir. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, you know the deployments uh, were good. Uh, the—I uh, mean, of course, the Desert Storm wasn't the first time the United States sent their troops in harm's way. But they were very organized for us. Uh, we had an assembly line of, uh, of shots that we were given, <laughs> ranges that we had to go through, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, medical uh, screenings and uh, the briefings. Uh, you know, one of the most important things you get before they send you to a combat theater is your your deadly force briefing and you know so you understand that you know you go to a war it's not a free-for-all there are rules and if you color outside the lines you can be criminally charged so um those are important and then of course uh the legal folks were there to, to make sure we had wills and our insurance was up to date and uh you know the beneficiaries and all and uh and that the uh uh, that our 
spouses had power of attorney to do the things they needed to get done. And, uh, you know, uh, there are protections for folks who are deployed in the law. And, uh, you know, people around Fort Hood that made uh, a, an easy living uh, uh, loaning money to soldiers at usurious rates, they, they discovered... Uh, you know, the, the protections that these soldiers had. Um, you could, you could break leases. Uh, you could do all sorts of things, you know, in, in situations like that. And, uh, you know, I really did appreciate it. You know, there were hardships, uh, but they had, they had addressed an awful lot of them. And I was very, very grateful for that. Um, I did have one, NCO, whose uh, whose wife decided to leave him while uh, while we were deployed, and uh, I won't say it was necessarily because of our deployment, but it was certainly uh, if it was in the if it was in the the uh, cards, it was certainly precipitated by our deployment. That was uh, was very sad. Phil, were you a were you a recipient of one of those infamous air shots? Which shot? The air shots. You mean with the gun? Yeah. Uh, the air gun. Yeah, uh, we had those uh, at Fort Benning. Uh, I remember my first when I went through uh, infantry officer basic course. Uh, I think they had a bucket of some sort of medicine and a hose down in a pneumatic gun. <laughs> I had no idea what we were getting, and, and they just, you know, uh, walked by, and I think they hit us on each shoulder, you know, in stereo, mm-hmm. and uh, called it down. I don't, I can't recall if they used a, an air gun or not when we went to uh, when we went to Desert Storm. The first time I saw it, though, was at Fort Benning. I remembered it. Oh, yeah. It's hard to forget. (laughs) Uh, You get to the point, I think I'll take a needle over that. But Yeah. That's not bad. You know, uh, David, I like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what what these guys, uh, the benefits that they earned through their service. Sure. And... uh, you know, uh, if you never served, uh, you understand that you do work for a civilian employer, even if it's the federal government, uh, they're subject to, uh, to workman's compensation rules. And, uh, there's no such thing as workman's comp for, uh, for your military. And that seems odd because, uh, there's a, there's a profession where you, definitely can get very very injured and a lot of folks do um you can get injured from from combat of course but you know you can get it i think we lost more people in desert storm from non-battle death injuries uh accidents and stuff uh was you know there's you know when you're around that kind of equipment there's propensity to lose fingers arms and uh have your feet crushed and all sorts of things. And when we were at Fort Hood, um, I can remember a soldier from 
2nd Armored Division. Uh, I was in a sleeping bag one night and I was run over and killed by an M1 tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't see him. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you don't... There's, there's nowhere your civilian employer would, would be anywhere near released from liability. For and so uh, what Congress did was they set up this uh, Department of Veterans Affairs and uh, essentially, if you're if you're injured on active duty, they continue your paycheck and and they treat you until you're well and stuff. And but when you get out, if you have lasting injuries uh, from your service, uh, combat or otherwise, then you're entitled to uh, disability compensation according to the law. And uh, one of the things that I do, uh, I work. Uh, as a service officer with disabled American veterans, and I help veterans get the uh, the benefits that they're entitled to. In far too many cases, they have no idea that they're entitled to these things. They just think, well, you know, I went in the Army and Marines, maybe, and I got I got hurt, and that's what happens. Well, it is what happens sometimes, but it's not without consequence to you know the federal government. They have to make it right. I saw uh, at <clears throat> the Cobb County Civic Center uh, on Friday and Saturday of this past week. The uh, there was a uh, a veterans uh, seminar or uh, expose for people to come down. You had uh, exhibitors from various uh, veteran organizations. It was free to veterans. They gave them lunch and uh, they had uh, all these people exhibiting and we were I was exhibiting for the uh, disabled American veterans and I ran into uh, this fella who was in a wheelchair being pushed by his wife and uh, he told me that he had been uh, a trooper in the first cab division in Vietnam had been shot was paralyzed uh, they got him back to where he could walk and they discharged him from the Army with a medical retirement in 1974 at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, when I went to investigating, you know, how much the uh, the VA was paying him, it turned out that uh, he was receiving compensation for 10% disability. Now, this fellow had had strokes and a uh, number of other things that uh, I could definitely relate to his military service. And uh, anyway, I made him promise that he would contact me and we would get his uh, claim filled out. That's great. You know, I was thinking about Fort Hood and uh, the nights at Fort Hood that I spent there, uh, they kept popping illumination flares and uh they would, they'd keep Fort Hood almost lit like daylight around the clock, or at night anyway. And um, I guess they weren't popping any of those when you were there. Well, they had them. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, they would do them, especially for in the live fire area, for uh, night, night firing. Um, you know... Mortars can fire illumination rounds. Howitzers can fire illumination rounds. Even the Cobras had rockets that were illumination rounds. They were a little bit short-lived, but 
uh, yeah, we could light up an area with uh, with rockets too, but but it was primarily for launching over the uh, over the impact area, uh, so that you know you could see the targets you were firing at. I, I would say Fort Hood was not a restful place to be. No. Uh, we lived inside the traffic pattern for Hood Army Airfield, and uh, frequently the Chinook helicopters would come over, and I remember the, uh, the dishes in our china cabinet would uh, <laughs> rattle when the Chinooks went over. Oh, yeah. But, you know, this is, uh, again, I'm, I'm really a big believer in everybody should serve in some capacity, and... Uh, you know, it's we sort of laugh about it now, but you know, and really, you sort of laugh about it at the time because it's going to happen. And there's two ways you can go: you can moan and groan, or laugh about it and keep going. And the best thing is to laugh at it and or laugh about it and keep going. In my opinion. Yeah. Well. You can always feel like too that a lot of. A lot of folks have made it through before you, and if they can, so can you. It's true, but, uh, you know, one of the challenges I face with, with soldiers after they become civilians, um, you know, they uh, they don't understand that, you know, pain is not normal. You know, they've been uh, trained and conditioned so that, you know, they they regard pain as normal and they work right through it, you know, and for the accomplishment of the mission. Well, it becomes a problem when they go uh, for an exam to evaluate their disability. Uh, they're told, okay, I want you to, you know, lean forward as far as you can or stoop down as far as you can or, you know, lift your arm as high as you can. And, you know, of course, the doctor who's doing the exam is measuring the uh, the angle or the the, uh, the range of motion, uh, but what they don't tell the veteran who's being examined that the uh, the standard in the law is you know that they you know bend their knee or lift their arm or lean forward or whatever until they first have the first indication of pain and then they stop and that's where you measure because pain is not supposed to be normal and they're not supposed to uh, have to deal with that and uh, so I'm all for laughing it off when the mission needs to be accomplished but afterward you know our nation needs to make right for our veterans right with that let everybody think about that and think about the service officer whether you know one or not you need to know one if you're a veteran we'll be back right after this If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. 
Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. And we're back on America's Web Radio with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, talking about the families. And, uh, you know, there was something I wanted to ask you, Phil, and, and uh, particularly on active duty and, and in a deployment. How, how did you feel towards the medical facilities or the medical services that were available to the deployed? Philip, are you there? Yes, I'm sorry, David. That's okay. Uh, I'm here, and you know, I was in a word. I was very, very satisfied uh, with the uh, with the, the level of our our medical care. Uh, our medical folks are just absolutely outstanding. You got you got lower enlisted medics that can do things that uh, a lot of surgeons back in the state states uh, you know would wouldn't be able to do as well um, you know they uh, and of course they're completely unflappable you know they, they'll do uh, uh, under fire um, you know uh, saving lives and uh, just they're just the most fantastic folks uh, and uh, you know and, and that, of course that goes a long way toward morale you know if you think that, you know, one bullet wound is going to end your life in a painful way and you're going to lay on the battlefield, you know, uh, until you die, uh, succumb to the wound or die of thirst or bleed out, um, you know, that's going to make you more, a lot more uh, conscious of your own safety. Whereas if you know that if you get hurt, you're going to be snatched up and evacuated to uh, an aid station, they're going to patch you up and and uh, do everything they can to keep you alive and minimize the, the damage to you. Um, that just gives you a lot of uh, a lot of energy to, to fight and to continue the mission. You know, one of the things that we always, or I say always, we try to always salute is the dust-off pilots. Those guys in Nam were absolutely beyond incredible. And uh, so many of them have been written about or stories have been told about them. And uh, they did things almost superhuman with uh, Huey and just taking their own lives, uh, putting their own lives at total risk, going into uh, LZs that were surrounded by the enemy and firing at the... At the uh, dust off all the way down, all the way in and out. And uh, those dust off pilots, I'd buy them if 
if one walked in the door right now, I'd buy him the biggest steak in Sandy Springs, I think. Yeah. The, uh, it's a, uh, they're absolute heroes. And, uh, you know, you, you gotta love them and you gotta, you, I mean, soldiers, sailors, and Marines are gonna give their medics or corpsmen just the, absolute best props uh, for for being there for the troops and uh, and you know well, I mean, what, what can you say and and some of our battlefield docks and uh, you know I saw a video of a guy that uh, in in Iraq got shot in the chest with a rocket propelled grenade mm. and it was embedded in his chest and it didn't explode and nobody knew what to do with him. Of course, he was still alive, and, you know, they brought him, you know, to the aid station, and, you know, the question was, well, what are we going to do with him? This this round could go off at any time. And Yeah, the doctor that, you know, said, bring him in here, and he, he worked the whole time, you know, removing this thing from this soldier's chest, and uh, the whole time there was folks from Explosive Ordnance Disposal in the operating room with them getting ready to you know do whatever they could you know but the, of course the doctor couldn't wear this that you know spaceman suit like the EOD guy so and you know and the medics that stayed you know just the heroism just fantastic amazing uh selfless service you know and that that's uh that's what makes folks really um honored to serve along people like that, along with people like that. I saw the same thing at one time or the other. I can't remember exactly when or where, but uh, the medics, uh, you know, and, and I always apologize, or I say always, I mean to, to the um, conscientious objectors that Went, you know, they were drafted and went in, and uh, they they continued their status, but they became medics, and their bravery was beyond reproach. And they didn't have to carry a weapon; they carried a bag. And uh, I salute them as well for all that they did and the many many lives that they saved. Many of others should have should have received. Well, like you and I have talked, there's there's no glamour in war, and uh, and it the Medal of Honor recipients are the bravest of the lot. They uh, yeah. they did many of them did superhuman things and. Uh, that's why they received the Medal of Honor, because they they did things that most human bodies or most humans are not capable of doing, and yet they did them. So, yeah. 
with that being said, we're, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, and uh, do you want to wrap it up, Phil? Well, David, uh, I'd just like to say uh, today is the, uh, is the 40th anniversary of my commissioning. Congratulations. Uh, in the Army as an infantry lieutenant. And uh, <clears throat> I uh, am very honored to have served a very grateful nation. And uh, I try to be worthy of my paycheck every single day and uh, try to do my best to serve uh, this uh, wonderful nation. Well, a lot of folks don't realize the importance of you haven't quit serving you're serving the veterans right now and if you don't if you're a veteran or you're a family member of a veteran and you don't have a service officer someone you can go to and talk about the benefits that a veteran has or the family has or a family member may have, then go to one of the service organizations, DAV, uh, VFW, American Legion, whatever. Go to one of them. They all have service officers that are there for you. And just like Phil is there for you to help, he will help you in any way he can. And uh, there are many benefits, many things available that that family members and even veterans don't know about. So we encourage you to go and find out what you're entitled to. And with that, we're going to have to bail out of here. Sir, okay. thank you for another great show. Looking forward to the next one. Yes, sir. Take care. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.